it simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike show. Hey everyone, Mike here. Please be advised that this episode contains some explicit language. As always, grab a cup of tea and thank you for listening to the Tea with Mike show. Please welcome to today's episode of the Tea with Mike show, Greg Shannon. Greg has been a radio and TV host for over 30 years all over Canada. Greg co-created, co-wrote, and hosted the 90s nationally syndicated at radio show at Craven A Today's Country, a show that featured the biggest acts of the day, including Garth Brooks, Diet Twain, Alabama, and the Dixie Chicks, and many other Grammy-nominated songwriters. Craig has also worked in the community relationships department at Red Deer College, now known as Red Deer Polytechnic, and more recently has returned to being a daily radio host on Edmonton CFCW Mornings with Stella Stevens. Welcome to the Tea with Mike show. Greg, how are you? Thanks for having me on, Mike. I appreciate it. Yes, I'm excited to dive into your story. Extensive background in TV and radio mixed in with some other things along the way, meaning some cool people and having some great experiences, it sounds like. So excited to get into all of that. And our paths briefly crossed at Red College. So I guess it's just great how the world spins background like we were talking about before we hit record on this, that we're connected again and we're doing this podcast, which I believe is episode 176, if I'm not mistaken. Wow, nice. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thanks, man. And And the only reason we've reconnected is because of your tenacity. So I applaud you on that because I'm kind of tough to pin down sometimes. I'm a little scattered, like some creative people, not all, but some. And I have a grandson now, a new grandson. I'm Pop Pop, and my wife is May May to little Hugo, and we're really loving that. We have our second grandchild on the way. It's going to be a, it's a girl, not going to be, but it is girl, and she's coming <laughs> November 17th on our 33rd wedding anniversary. So That's crazy. Best anniversary present we've ever had, so we're looking forward to that very much, and it changes your perspective again, and I got to be honest with you, I, my wife and I had four kids. And for a very brief period, Mike, we had the house to ourselves. It was pretty awesome. We'd make smaller meals. We'd watch our shows, less cleaning, less groceries to buy. And then the bounce back started happening and people started parachuting in. And then we got the announcement that our oldest daughter was going to have a baby with her husband, Harry. And I never tweaked on that one. I never tweaked on being a grandpa. I thought I was home free. We're going to be like freewheeling. My wife and I, we're going to travel. We got all this money. It's going to be good. And now we have a lot less money, a lot less time, and but more people because <laughs> my people are now making people. So, the, you know, we're a part of the problem in the world, but actually part of the solution too, because my kids are very intelligent, introspective people with big hearts and Hugo my grandson is proving to be the exact same. He's just a character and he's got so much empathy already. You can see it. And he's not even two yet. He'll, he'll be two in January. He's His birthday is about a week after my birthday. My birthday is January 8th. Same day as Elvis. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're having abundance of blessings at the moment and uh, fingers crossed. We're just going to keep on moving in that direction and, and keep everybody healthy and happy. That's the goal. That's fine. I think that's what the world kind of needs more of moving forward with 
everyone's well aware of everything that's going on in the world. We don't need to dive into yeah. that. But I think what we can do to help it within our respective powers is is to be more empathetic and kind in our local communities and have these active conversations to help grow our communities and hopefully even more across Canada and, you know, just be better people in general, you know, like COVID really, I think, crushed social interaction and that ability to have a a conversation. And you can still see that when you go about your day-to-day how many people are reluctant to talk to you? They're always kind of on the defensive. And I'm, I get not everybody's perfect in the world and you can have bad interactions with different people for whatever reason, but not everybody's like that. I think that's the point that I'm trying to make. And it's hard to break down those defensive barriers if people aren't willing to even just have a basic conversation. You don't need to know their life story, but it's nice even just to say yeah. hi or even call them by their actual name. Like, People have names, and when I'm going to Starbucks or wherever I go in my day-to-day, if I know their name, I'm going to address them by their name. It's not, hey, bro, it's like, hey, Greg, or how's yeah. it going, Bruce, So you know what I mean? I, yeah, it's the human connection, and that's funny you bring up Starbucks, because they never know your name. It's always wrong on the cup. It doesn't matter if your <laughs> name's Mike, Greg, Sally, whatever, they always mess that up, which is kind of funny, and that's, you know, I don't think they correct it, and they probably do it on purpose sometimes, because now it's this thing. And we all associate that. And that's kind of a fun thing to talk about the coffee shop. But by the way, I was just in a very long line. I brought my wife a coffee on my way home from work. And she teaches a couple of blocks down the street from our house. And uh, she requested a coffee because we went to the Eagles concert last night at Roger's place. And I'm telling you, this was a bucket list item, Mike. I have wanted to see this band and listen to them from the time I was like 13, 14 years old. It was beyond expectations. Their mastery of musicianship and their charisma and the songs. The songs are so well written and the harmonies. It was unbelievable. Anyway, back to Starbucks. I'm standing as in the drive through line, killing the planet for like 15 minutes. And I'm going, what is happening? Because I'm so tired and I didn't want to crash into the car in front of me. Ended up putting it in park a few times because I'm drowsy and it never takes that long. So I get up there and, you know, you don't want to lose your temper over stupid stuff like a $6.25 coffee, which is only a grande. day. It wasn't an event day or anything. And I said, so what's going on here? We, is a training day? And she said, nope, just people calling in sick. So we're really understaffed. And it's the people that are standing there on the front lines that are the ones that, that get the flack. But I think during the pandemic, Everybody became insular and they started just protecting themselves and their own family. And we kind of cocooned because the world was, you couldn't go outside the bubble. And the one thing, the one way my wife and I got out of that, and I really enjoyed this part of the pandemic was we connected with old friends and some that we hadn't seen for a decade or more with Zoom calls. So we'd have some whiskey and some wine and go through the phone and we do zoom calls fairly regularly and it was a huge joy and it brought lots of joy and positivity to our lives and we figured out that there's you know quite a lot of common ground between married people of our ilk around it doesn't matter where you live toronto saskatchewan bc we're all facing the same battles and we're all just human beings trying to connect with other human beings i talk a lot like Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's good. That's how we get the best stories and the best connection is by not putting any like 
pressure on the time limit, right? So just sort of yeah. let it flow. So and I really hope as the world returns to whatever the kind of the new normal is that yeah. everybody can remember all the things that happened that were good before COVID. And then I'm hoping we can use COVID also as a hard reset on society and really think about what's actually important. And that's my opinion, like spending time with friends and family, being positive, I just look at all, all these cliche things, living life to the full, but it really is true. It's true. Because it's the really basics. You only, you've only got so long on the planet. And so why are you wasting your time doing anything else? You, you know what I'm saying? So. Absolutely. Before we go any further, I got to ask you what your accent is. Are you from England? Yeah, it's a, it's a British accent. I don't know how clear it is to some people. It's very distinctive to others, not so much. So. Yeah, it sounds like you're part British, but part maybe something else. Like, I don't know. But so what part of the country of the UK are you from? Northern England, so originally. So more like Leeds, Newcastle way. That's probably okay. the closest most people get geographically. I mean, it's a little bit further than those major cities, but that, most people don't know England that well, right? So. so let me ask you your thoughts on the passing of Her Majesty. How did you feel about that? And how did your family feel about that? We knew it was going to like happen. You just never know when it's like any like icon. And so I looked at my phone like two hours like prior and Queen Elizabeth is being observed by doctors. It's how they phrase yeah. it in the, the media. And then two hours later, when I got off a break at work, it says all of her family is rushing to Balmoral, right? And then like whenever I like next check, when I get an opportunity, Queen Elizabeth has passed it way in. Yeah, it, it, it really knocked a few pegs like out of my mood because to me, I found it all very interesting. And I think the Queen, especially, I know there's controversies around other members of the royal family, should we say, but she always led from the front. She was never in any dramas or like major scandals. And I really think she did a lot for like world relations more than a lot of people would necessarily think, right? A lot of people think that Oh, the, the, the British, which is true, at least for a good number of years, we took over this country, this country, and this country, right? But I think t towards the end, it shifted into more helping with like global relationships. And although we've seen war and we've seen some big like controversies and conflict, I think it could have been scaled a lot more without her presence in the world. So I'm kind of scared to see what's going to happen next because that was the traditional monarchy it was there for like 70 years and now it's kind of like the world's changed but there still seem to be like going on with the tradition but there's a lot more question marks over all the future people that are ever going to be quote the king or the queen you know what i mean at one point so, i thought charles charles was going to abdicate the, the throne and it would go to will and i think I will yeah. You know, and, and I mean, yeah. you know, Charles is a seasoned ambassador and, and has served this country as well for a long time. But you just think that, you know, with the intricacies and all of the it's going to take a healthy, virile, young, younger person to face all of this controversy and and keep moving forward with what Elizabeth did with the positivity. I got to say, you know, my grandmother was from Wales and. She was in the IODE, the Imperial Order Daughters of the Empire, and she was a leader in Saskatchewan. And, you know, when the Queen came, they hosted and they took care of the flowers with the Horticultural Society and all that, very important to her. And then it became very important to us as 
as grandkids because that's that was the way. And I just think Elizabeth and all the monarch they spread. I don't think you can put a gauge on the positivity and the no. you, you know the warm regard and feelings that people got from these people. And that's the upside of the monarchy. Of course, we could sit here all day and and talk about the downside for sure. But when somebody like that who from the age of 27 thrust into that role and took care of it very well and was the example the beacon and the leader you know like led from the front like you said and she was she was in the armed forces and you know this was a, a freaking tough lady who was just regal and humorous and she had it all so i think the majority of people if they understand and they have a little perspective on life they're going to miss her and it's it's very odd to say king charles i got to be honest with you I guess it's a weird, weird thing to say. Yeah, agreed. And then it's all like, what's going to happen to all the money, right? You know, with her face on and uh, things like that, right? So it'll be interesting. But to answer the original question, yeah, it it did hit me in the heart. I did cry and I I guess I'm proud to cry because it's a significant moment for me being British in British history. I totally understand, like we alluded to, that other people will have different perspectives, but that's how I feel about the death yeah. of Elizabeth. Yeah, I just Second. wanted to check in with you as a, you know, a former member of the Commonwealth there, and you're a dual citizen, obviously, so that's pretty, you got a great perspective on all that, having grown up with it and everything firsthand. I have a buddy, Michael Birchfield, who's from England as well, but he's a longtime Vancouver resident now, and he's a, you know, always been a monarchist and, and stuff, so yeah, I just, there's one thing about people my age, I'm 55 now, and we got one foot in the old school, one foot in the new, mm. and it's, you get chastised for any belief you have, wh- whatever it is. We're not allowed to have any favorites or any traditions because it's all bad, and I, I feel bad about that, and, you know, it's just, I, it's hard to reconcile sometimes when you go back to that mental health conversation you know like what are we supposed to do and we were raised a certain way and you know I've never ever considered myself racist or prejudiced that's not you know we went to church as a family for a long time we're talking about now that we got a grandson we need to reconnect and take him and not so much for the denomination but just for the comfort and knowing that there's something bigger out there than what's going on something that you can hang on to because honestly that got me through lots of dark times was was holding on to a spiritual belief in jesus and everything and and the thing is like in radio and show business the highs are lofty the lows are like okay we're going (laughs) we're right on here and you never know how they're gonna and that's in any career i think uh, and any walk of life there's down periods and to be able to navigate those valleys, you got to hang on to something because your family's overwhelmed. And, you know, sometimes your mentors, your sounding boards aren't available. And that's one thing I, I would recommend for everybody. I got to this late is finding some mentors in your life. You hear about that all the time, but it's a real thing and it really works. And you just have this sounding board. I got a number of people in my phone that I can lean on at any given moment and they can do the same that's reciprocal with me so we've talked each other out of the ditch a few times and, and it's invaluable I think 
totally true. So going back a little bit, we had some great conversations so far. Where did you grow up and where do you call home now? Okay, well, home base is now St. Albert, just north of Edmonton. So my commute's 20 minutes on the Anthony Hande to get to the studios of CFCW, which is in the world-famous West Edmonton Mall. And I grew up on a farm just on the cusp of Saskatoon, and I'm talking pretty much in the city. So there's the exhibition grounds, the Saskatoon Golf and Country Club, and then our land. And total, it totaled two sections, just a bit more than two sections. And we, some of that was rent land that we farmed and everything, but we had the home place and that was a fourth generation farm. So it was pretty spectacular because I had all this room to play on and explore as a kid. And yet five minutes from my house, I could go to 8th Street and cruise with the guys when I started when I got my license in grade 10 and we would go get into trouble right in the city. So, and then I went to a country school. My sister and my brothers and I, we were first on the bus and last off just because of where we were. So it was about an hour and a half one way and close to that the other way to return home. And then when you got home, usually there was chores waiting for you. Have a bowl of cereal and then get out there and do some work. So it was, yeah, I call myself a hybrid redneck because I had, you know, I was part city, but part country. And re- reflecting upon that now, are you happy that it turned out that way? That you're like almost like two different, I guess, perspectives, you know, the farming yeah. roots, but then also getting to experience what living in the city's like and just being in a city in general. I think I'm, I'm an actor without acting skills and I could show you some tape to prove that one day, but uh, yeah, I always had to be an actor because I didn't really fit in one place hundred percent and I didn't fit in the other hundred percent. So I've always had this persona that I could adapt to situations a bit like a chameleon. And that really works when you got to start fresh in a different radio market all over Canada, here, there, everywhere, and try and, you know, become this friend to a whole new crop of people. And I, you know, I could talk a little bit of city, I could talk a little bit of country, and depending on the market, I crank up one and bring down the other. Or, you know, and here at CFCW, it's obviously, it's a, it's a rural audience. We got some like fourth, fifth generation listeners. This station has been going since like the fifties. It's incredible. And it just keeps on like the children's children's listen. And they, we just keep refilling the hopper of listeners because it's a unique animal CFCW. It's just a one of a kind radio station. We just won Canada's large market country station of the year for the second year in a row at the Canadian country music awards. That's awesome. Yeah. So we're Country Music Alberta, back-to-back wins as Station of the Year and back-to-back wins nationally as well. So, yeah, and that's just a testament to the weirdos that I work with and (laughs) and the music we play. And it's a kind of a committee decision. We have the boss leading the way, Jackie Ray, who's just got announced she's going into another Hall of Fame. She's going into the Alberta Sports Hall of Fame this month. It was announced in February, but the, they they started putting out the PR stuff right now because the, it's right around the corner. And she's a curling builder and has done some incredible things for sport in Alberta, organized some top-level events. And right now, her latest thing, so that'll be the third or fourth Hall of Fame she's in who can keep track. But now she is part of a small but mighty group that launched a new university program at McEwen University 
it's called the distinguished artist visiting mentorship program or whatever basically the whole idea is they're building this endowment and they're gonna fly in nashville writers and producers and artists and artists from all over canada to come mentor the students and the program the music program at McEwen has strictly been predominantly jazz for a long time but they're going to spread their wings and put this program officially in place as of now it's officially in and start showing them the way and the business side of the music business and and learn from people who have survived and just like you know you and i trying to navigate the world of podcasting the hard way this is going to save a lot of people heartache and and lots of time and money as well so it's pretty cool that's just how she is she's driven passionate loves music and you know it's not hard to work for her because you you want to follow her because she's a great leader she will never do anything she does 10 times more than i do she never asks <laughs> to do she does she and she's the boss she would never ask you to do something that she wouldn't do for herself and uh, yeah everybody says i brown knows her all the time i'm telling you i'm just telling the truth this is what she's like and she's a big part of my day because I see her a lot, probably way too much, actually. I, I could do with less, so a little bit less. But uh, yeah, she's just fun to hang out with and she's real. Like there's no airs. It's, she's a goofball and she's got a pretty big strategic brain and she loves sports. So there's, you know, she's fun to hang out with. She, she's good in any situation, I'll tell you that right now. And she's gotten me into some situations <laughs> as well along for the years we've known each other so including she got me into the morning show so i'll be forever grateful because it's been an awesome ride so far and looking forward to seeing what the next few years brings here no that's awesome it's great to have a good boss that i assume is building a great supportive team environment for like everybody that works there and like when you consider people more your friends versus your work colleagues that can make for some great creativity and yeah accomplishments like you just uh, alluded to that all is built from that like team call right yeah and that's what uh that's what we had at red Deer college too in community relations janice wing same type of person creative driven experienced yeah that means old janice she and she had this open door policy just like jackie ray whatever's on your mind however trite or whatever how important deeply affecting you at the moment and you just go into her office and you come out feeling way better than you went in and that inspired the whole team including my direct boss which was miles peak he was the director of development i think so i don't want to misquote titles but anyway he was my boss and he's now with the women's outreach he's the fund development guy there and just not necessarily like a textbook leader that you would say but he puts his work ethic where his mouth is too coaches kids relentlessly he's he's got you know always mentoring kids his own kids and other people's kids and <laughs> me as well like he taught me he taught me the art and craft of fund development and now i have for a long time i in my toolbox was only radio and radio is shrinking a little bit as far as air talent goes so when you're out of a gig you're out of a gig and you can't feed your family but now i have another skill set to fall back on so that made me a more confident human being all around and i think that you know trickles down into my family life and everything knowing that i'm not on pins and needles what if i get canned what if they flip the format what if it would if what if what if and what if what if they do 
then I'm going to, you know, I'll look for a radio gig. But if one's not available, I'll look for a fun development gig because I really like that career too. Because it's the same as radio. You're just not on the air. You're just building relationships and talking to people. Fantastic. And then, so what radio shows did you listen to when you were growing up? What was some of your favorites and maybe why? I was more of a TV junkie, nostalgic TV. So we had two channel universe on the farm, CBC and CTV, QC8, I think it was called. And we had like, you know, Abbott and Costello on, on Saturday mornings. We had, let's see, we had FBI, all these detective shows, Rockford Files, Simon and Simon, all that 80s, 70s and 80s stuff. That is my wheelhouse. And that kind of feeling, that nostalgic, quirky, fun, light, sometimes cheesy content is what inspires the radio show, or at least the part I do on CFCW Mornings. I just try and bring that feeling to the listener and whatever day, you know, Monday feels like Monday, Tuesday feels like Tuesday, Wednesday, that is the whole goal. So it's not this homogenized, we do the same thing every day kind of product. And I make a lot of the, I'll edit together a lot of the custom kind of splitters that go between the records or the, the music as we go, which is not a great thing to do because it does take time and it takes my focus off other things. And then I'll drop the ball and forget to turn on my microphone because I left it down to one second or whatever. And the listeners kind of like that though, because I think anyway, they, they just don't know what's going to happen next because we don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> so they're really only radio there. There used to be two guys wall and den on CFQC in Saskatoon. And that was a very good show. And they were just two guys just sticking it up and they had sound effects and, and lots of laughs on there and always tongue in cheek and, and some characters. And then Don Scott, who ran Western Academy Broadcast College, where I went for my radio course there, he still runs it with his son. And Don Scott had a character named Granny on the air, and she was on all the billboards with him. And it was just a listener that he cultivated and made into this character. And Don would say stuff like on Monday morning, he'd go, yeah, yeah, I just flew in from Vegas. Wayne Newton and I were up all night drinking, playing blackjack. And I'm going, oh, this is so cool. He knows Wayne Newton. This is all, he didn't know Wayne Newton. He's just saying it. It's, it's just all theater of the mind and crap comes out of our mouths, all in an effort to entertain people and try and, and there's a lot of people that are 100% better at this than I am. We have weekend guy named Nick, who's hilarious. We have lots of people that just use the medium to its ultimate. I am just trying to use the tools that I have and when I first got here, I just used too many sound effects, too many beds, too many. And a couple of listeners got angry, like a couple of old boys. And they said, if you can't talk without playing all that crap and everything, then just you shouldn't be on the radio. And I took that to heart. So because I was using it, I was so stressed out about being the morning guy of this legendary station. I didn't, I couldn't string together a thought enough to speak. So I just covered up by going to my tickle trunk all the time and pulling out all these these bits and stuff. And that's not what they want. They want one-to-one human conversation and they are savvy. You think older farm families and whatever don't know what the hell's up? I'm telling you, they know. They know and they are, my brother-in-law Kirk is one of the funniest guys in the world in Saskatchewan. And he's, his BS meter is, it's set. He knows and he's, he knows high level humor because they have exposure to 
every late night talk show and Sirius XM that they've had and got disappointed with and canceled, right, Kirk? And all those kind of things. So yeah, it's a little bit of radio inspiration, lots of classic nostalgia TV, and that's how you get this hybrid redneck that really is not a full functioning member of society most days. I'm just taking up space a lot of the time. <laughs> Working on that. It's all the discipline. Working on it. Nice. And then, so when you were growing up, how did you decide or maybe what even inspired you to follow the, the whole world of radio, TV, broadcasting, or even media as a whole? Complete accident. Mr. Dress Up, too, also a mentor. I love that. I love that tape dispenser he had on the countertop with the thing. I'd never seen anything like it. And I'm going, this guy is the coolest. Look at this tape thing he's got. And the owl and with the weed, with the woo and all that stuff. I loved I thought that guy was a show business giant. And he was, obviously. Me getting into radio was a complete accident because I graduated agriculture college in Vermilion. And I knew I went there because... I could get in with my whopping 67 average out of high school out of Quebec Composite. And my cousin kind of duped me into going there. I said, yeah, it's easy, man. You don't have to study at all. It's going to be great. Anyway, he was kind of one of my original mentors, and which was good and bad. But I got into Lakeland, and I soon realized that if I didn't smarten up and you know, pay attention to the content, I was going to flunk out. And I didn't want to flunk out because it was a lot of fun. We had co-ed dorms. We had parties. Yucca Flux, dances all the time, and it was just a blast. Very welcoming. If you got anybody you know that needs to go to an alternative to Red Deer College, they're more than just agriculture, but they are preeminent in agriculture, just like Olds. And it's a, it's a, I can't speak on behalf of Olds, but I can tell you, Lakeland is a fun ride when you go there. It's an experience that you'll never forget. And anyway, so I, graduated and I knew inside that I didn't have the skills to be a farmer. I was never mechanically inclined like my dad, my grandpa. I just didn't have the passion for it. So my buddy, Brian Tampke, who we went to high school together and he was, he'd come to my driveway on the farm after I got home from ag college and he'd play me the air check tapes on cassette and his, we'd sit and have a beer in his car and talk and He'd play the tapes of his show that he made that day in the egg in the broadcast college. And I go, I, I think I can do this. This doesn't seem that hard. Let me sign up. So the next semester I signed up and I got my first job in St. Paul, Alberta, and became rich. $900 a month. Yes. It's pretty good back then. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was rolling in it. I made a rent payment. My little Ford Ranger payment, and then I had enough for a well, a pitcher of beer, not really even a case, a pitcher every other paycheck. So, but we were so loving radio, we were just lived at the radio station and loved everything about it. Fell in love, and I knew in my gut, I could feel it like I was so terrible, but I knew in my gut that I could do something with this. I could feel that if I just stuck with it and studied the craft and figured it out, that I could maybe do something with it. And you know, for one time in my life, I was right. It took a while, took a long while, but it it paid off in the end, that's for sure. Cool, and we're going to dive back into this in a second, but we're just going to have a little pause for a little tea pact. And so today's tea pact for the episode is, originally Charles Elmer Hires had difficulty selling his root tea, as most of his local customers were coal miners and not accustomed to buying tea. 
It's at this point that he decided to change the name of it to Root Beer, and its popularity soared. And that comes from teahow.com slash 100 facts about tea. That's interesting. I like that. When are you getting the tea sponsor, man? You've been rolling with this for a while. You're like on 176 episodes or something. you got to get this. Get somebody paying the bills over there. I do. That's something like we were talking a little bit off head. And I need to put my head like back into it and like figure out where I want yeah. to go and next. I won't lie and say I have a gazillion ideas in my head at this point in time, but it would be cool to see like where it could go next, right? Yeah. It's too bad you didn't have a an app or something that was out there that you could collate the, you know, the people, the expats that from Britain that are living in Canada and you could get them on and, and get them behind you. And you got to know that probably a bunch of those own tea franchises or, you know, whatever chip shops whatever <laughs> that need the word spread. And, and I know it'll happen and I'll start thinking about it for you too. And if I come across something, I'll shoot you an idea for sure. I appreciate that. Cause yeah. This is fascinating. I've talked about it many times, so I won't bore listeners with the same stuff, but, you know, starting from zero, like experimenting and then building yeah. and, and then now kind of doing it consistently and going suddenly from like zero episodes to like 176. It's crazy that 200 will be here soon, like within 10 years there'll be a thousand episodes you know like you know well you know something with that 200 milestone that's where your tsn turning point is that's where you got to get ready get the special guest to get the sponsor lined up and just make that your your goal for yourself to get things cranked up another level and i think that's a that's a pretty impressive mark for anybody to hit 200 episodes and it just shows the sponsor the potential sponsor that you're in it for the long haul and you know, you got here for a reason and, and you should get on board. Hard tea. How about, how about hard tea with Mike? <laughs> lots of booze, lots of booze sponsors out there. Maybe you think of that. It's true. I'm sure there's ways you could get creative. Yeah. Yeah. Just to mess with the logo a bit. That's all you gotta do. A little bit like Charles Elma Hyas, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because the information is limited, but I don't actually think he changed the product. I just think he changed the product name. Yeah. And that's so. marketing. There's a, a podcast called Under the Influence with Terry O'Reilly. And it's pretty famous. You should listen to that sometimes. And he tells the stories. He'll pull back the curtain on brands and how they got to be where they are and the lying and the conniving <laughs> and the creativity that has duped the public for many, many, many years and convinced us that this was the way to go. So it's, it's very entertaining. And I got a chance to meet Terry O'Reilly. He lives in Ontario, but we were met at a conference in Banff and got to sit in the front of the fireplace of the Banff Springs Hotel and swap radio war stories and drink scotch. And it was one of those happenstances that was just great. And yeah, anytime I think about it, I'm going, yeah, that happened. That was very cool. I'd like to, for that to happen again. No, it sounds like one of those things that lined up, you know, great setting, great environment, you know, like probably some armchairs, a little, a little bit of whiskey, I think you just said, and stuff in with a fire. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You just get, you know, it, it worked on many levels. The guy who got me that opportunity was Terry Andreo from ATB in Alberta. And have you looked into getting your podcast on the Alberta Podcast Network that ATV funds? 
Not really. I've heard of it, but I haven't looked into it seriously. Yeah, there's a guy in Red Deer, Travis Cura, who has the Two and Out CFL podcast. So I do the intro for that podcast, and he just got huge accolades, and they're up for an award and everything. And he's on that, and basically the phrase your hosting cost and your, you know, you, you know some of the your expenses you have. It's not a ton of money, but then you're on the Alberta Podcast Network as far as, I mean, it got him on the CBC Afternoon Show in Edmonton, and they talked all about how great it was on the top sports podcasts that are available out there. And uh, yeah, I think he's doing quite well in the same thing. He just loves CFL football, loves the riders, and he just kept on doing it every week, every week, every week. And then, you know, and he's got the... I turned him on to that Alberta Podcast Network thing early on. And unlike me, he followed up and got it done. <laughs> he's been reaping the rewards ever since. So, yeah, it can be done. All right, let's go to this next. So in the 1990s, like I alluded to at the beginning, you co-created, co-wrote, and hosted the nationally syndicated radio show at Craven a today's country so can you tell us a little bit about the show the inspiration behind it the challenges of getting it off the ground and and how you felt about talking with some of the yeah. famous people that got it that's one of my favorite subjects to talk about so today's country kind of a very long story i'll try and give you the cliff notes so we're not here over the supper hour but i was in medicine hat doing an afternoon drive show this is the second time i was in Medicine Hat with my original mentor, Jay Hitchin, who was the program director there. And uh, after a brief stint in Calgary at a classic rock station, he hired me back to do the afternoon show and uh, be assistant music director and yada, yada, yada. So I was doing a crazy thing that I stole from radio and records trade publication. I used to read all the time from the States that Jay always subscribed to. And there was some guy in the States that dressed up in a superhero costume and delivered donuts to listeners. So I created Donut Man, and one of my listeners created the costume. So I had tights, satin tights, and red trunks, and yellow cape, and RDM, big badge on my chest, which stood for Robin's Donuts Man. And we got Robin's Donuts to sponsor it, and he would write in, basically, and we would come to save the day with donuts from Donut Man like this. It was a whole thing. So I saw this ad in a different trade publication that we subscribed to from Canada called The Record. And in The Record was, there was no online job site. There was no online at all back then. This was early 1990s. And it had this blind box ad that said, wanted quick-footed personality with love of country music. Please apply. No other details. So I sent a little piece of my, a couple of breaks from my afternoon show that I really heavily edited to make me sound normal. And uh, <laughs> that worked back, uh, you had to edit on reel to reel back then with, and cut the tape and splice it together with the splicing tape and all that. So it was a project all the time when you edited. And so I got that dubbed on the cassette, beautiful label, typed it on the typewriter. And, uh, and then I sent a picture of me with this Robin's Donuts get up on. And yeah, so next thing you know, I get this call and they said, we'd like to audition you for this gig. I go, what is the gig? Well, we can't tell you. So they flew me out to Toronto and I go into this television studio. Shirley Solomon used to have a talk show back in the day and it was like kind of a mauve set. And she was afternoon talk show host for 
number of years anyway, and it was on the Esplanade in Toronto, right by the waterfront. And I go into this audition and very nice lady, Jan Cody is there and she's kind of helping me out and she was the senior producer. And Rob Wilson Rogers, who was from Rogers Marketing or whatever that had this idea that they pitched to Craven A cigarettes for a country show, because this was right on the cusp of everything exploding. So you got Clint Black, you got, you know, Randy Travis, you got Garth taken off into the stratosphere, Shania soon to follow. So country music is big. And Rolco Communications launched the first full-time FM country station in Toronto called Kissin, not Kissin, Kiss, Kiss FM, C-I-S-S. And so this was huge. And all the timing just kind of came together. And Rob Wilson Rogers, who started this marketing company, he's a brilliant guy. And he saw that Craven A, Rothman's Benson and Hedges was the parent company for Craven A cigarettes. And so he pitched Rothman, Benson and Hedges. And just like fireworks that they used to sponsor all the time, it had to be a live event in order to be, to get the cigarette brand out there. So you couldn't just sponsor a radio show. It had to be a radio show in front of a live studio audience. So we had this TV set and everything. But anyway, back to my audition, I go in there, I do the thing and they go, this television director was directing me. His name was Rick Price. And he kept barking orders at me and he said, okay, so now I want you to see that book in front of you on the pedestal, turn it to page 452 and go three paragraphs down. I want you to read that out loud. And it was like Shakespeare, to be or not to be. And so I'm like, I don't know what's going on. It's dimly lit. I don't know who's sitting in there or anything in, in the audience. I can see some people and everything. But I, so I just fake it, man. Like I was crapping my pants. I faked it and did this whole thing. And then he threw a, a roll of duct tape at me. So I caught the duct tape and I kind of went through my legs with it and threw it back at him in the dark and kept reading at the same time. Because I'm going, this is what he wants to see. He's trying to rattle me. I don't know what's going on. But I do this whole thing. And then I had to do a mock interview with Dolly Parton on the telephone, you know, and stuff. And I had to, so I, I, you know, I kind of hit that about 50%, I'd say it wasn't great, but it wasn't horrible. And then at the end they go, okay, well, that's it for the audition and stuff. Do you have to go to the washroom or anything before you go back to the hotel? And I said, no, I already went. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I walk out. And so I went to the Novotel across the thing, stayed one more night till I could catch the plane of Pearson. And I'd never been on a plane before. And I'm, I'm like flying over Toronto when I flew in there and I'm going, there's lights out each side of this plane for 40 minutes. It's nothing but lights. I go, how big is this city? I was like freaked out. Anyway, I go back to Medicine Hat and wait on pins and needles for two weeks till they got back to me and phone said yeah we'd like you to be the host of our show they go great what is the show <laughs> I, I still didn't know what the show was so they sent this press pack and it was called craven a today's country with this really not great logo with a boot and the logo of the cigarette package cigarette package colors and everything with this folder and it said you know conversations with garth brooks and blah 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 will happen on this nationally syndicated show what i go this is crazy so i tell my wife i go we're going to toronto and you know garth brooks is going to be on my show and all this and so i get to toronto and Teresa had to stay behind in medicine hat and finish her teaching contract first one ever we were thrilled we had our first decent house ever rental house and we're just on top of the world for about 10 minutes there until i blew it all up again 
we fly to Toronto. And uh, so I go there first and I'm living with Jan and John. They were the producer and audio engineer of the show. And they take me to this pub right next to the studio. It was a, a British pub that I loved. And uh, we just drank beer. And they said, yeah, so what do you think the show should be about? And how should it look? And I go, what? What do you mean? They had really, they knew they needed a show and they, in front of a live audience to get the money from the cigarette company. But really, there was not a lot of other plan <laughs> and stuff. So I'm doing, and they picked me because of my extensive country knowledge, which, I mean, I listened to Statler Brothers and Jim Reeves when I was a kid from dad's record collection and then Alabama super fan when I was in high school and, and all the country stuff, but then kind of got away from it a bit. And then I, like, I, I was no expert. I liked the music, but I was the show expert on country music for this national show. And it was funny. So we had a ball. We just drank beers and said, okay, what if we start with this? And we go like this. And the next thing up is we introduced the first act and came up with this whole plan. And we planned and booked the first show, which was really hard because nobody wanted to do a show that's never been heard of, whether it's sponsored by Craven A or not. So we could not get talent. So we got, you know, independent artists, called them into action from all over the place. And people like Jim Witter, who Cliff Dumas was the morning guy at Kiss FM at the time in Toronto. And he was personal friends with Jim Witter from Hamilton. And we got people like Jim and some, you know, legitimate people. They weren't nationally known that much, but we got them on the show and we started this thing. And it was live to the satellite. So I had an IFB earpiece that I had to listen to the control room, which you couldn't see from the stage. And, you know, they'd tell me, okay, we're going to live there at three, two, one, like it's stress. And then I come out of the, the back of this, we had a full set and our own house band, Mike Francis, Peppy Francis and the hot house band. And these were the top session players in Toronto as who played on Anne Murray records and like big time people. And so we got this thing and they have a theme, the hot house band theme, the today's country theme and rolls and everything. Then there's atmosphere like smoke. So for the Intel beam lighting we have, and it looked like a the Tonight Show. That's what the set looked like and all that stuff. And I come walking out in my Bo Brummel jacket, very expensive jacket, and it's the same color as the cigarette pack, which I didn't realize. But I, and, and so it's a smoking show, and I'm coming out of smoke with this jacket on, and I the jacket held me up because I was such a like I did not fit this show at all bad posture and all the record label veterans are out in this audience and this was like an industry mostly audience for the first episode and they're going what is this freak doing how did he get this gig what is happening here and they're laughing at me and like no respect at all because i didn't earn any so somehow we survived and rob wilson rogers is at home smoking a cigar in his backyard listening to this debacle unfold on the radio we got like four affiliates, five affiliates to start or something like that. He's going, oh my God, this kid is horrible. This show is horrible. Because it was directed by a TV director who didn't understand that sound was more paramount than the, you know, Intellibeam lighting and the stuff for 250 people. Who cares? We're making a radio show. And yeah, it didn't take very long for us to say, okay, this is nonsense. We're going to tape. On Sundays, we're going to tape three artists and we're going to cut them up into separate shows and that's how we're going to roll and then we'll upload it to satellite and back then you there was no downloading off a computer you had to upload the load to a satellite and 
you know, the affiliate station had to download it, tape it on reel to reel so they could play it on Saturday or Sunday or whenever they wanted to play it. And anyway, we somehow survived. And my co-host Sharon Edwards, who was, you know, really good journalist, and she used she covered the Olympics and everything at CBC in Calgary. She did the home stretch on CBC Calgary for years. And you know, we were thrown together co-hosts and stuff. But Sharon booked all the international artists, and I booked the independent talent. That's how the division of labor happened. And I got off way luckier because it was way easier to get somebody from Hamilton than it was to get somebody from Nashville. <laughs> but, you know, after about the first year, just a bit into the first year, I think, she booked Faith Hill. And Faith Hill just had a number one smash with Wild One. So we had our first legitimate international artist on the show. And it all went well. And then Nashville kind of saw what we did. And Faith was with a company called Borman and Associates, a big publicity management firm. So they started to slowly spread the word and then our guests and we eventually got Garth on and we got everybody that was in the pamphlet I got on day one. They all came on the show, including, you know, Craig and they had a, a huge budget for the show. We flew in Alabama, like the whole band, everyone came wow. to do today's country. Shania came, she was on twice, Faith was on twice, Tim McGraw, before they were married, all that stuff and uh, you name it, they were all on the show. And we, we want to see what these, these are New York Festival International Radio Awards. So we got, so cool. yeah, so these are for the interview with Garth that we did one and the interview with Mary Chafin Carpenter. And I forget what, I got so many, I don't know. It's just a lot of awards, you know, a lot of awards. They're cluttering up my office. They got dust all the time, <laughs> but it was fun. We got to fly to New York. Because it was a great budget. And every year we'd go to Nashville to the country radio seminar and we'd interview. Well, Sharon, I got the party and Sharon would have to interview all these people in the hotel room and use the tape for the future season of shows. And uh, yeah, it was an absolute, I had no idea how cool it was until it ended abruptly. And I started reading the Globe and Mail quite a bit because it was an interesting paper. And they had a column in there called Lives Lived and it was a biography of somebody that lived not necessarily in, in Ontario, but somewhere in Canada and their life story. And I always loved that kind of thing. And I started looking at the oh, tobacco legislation under fire, this, that. Uh, I'm not that brilliant of a guy, but it didn't take you know a sledgehammer for me to figure out that we were going to get canceled because they were changing the rules for tobacco advertising. So I started planting seeds with a guy named Casey Clark, who was one of the first hired when Rolko used to own New Country Network, NCN, they launched the first video country channel out of Toronto. And then it was purchased by Shaw and Shaw changed it to CMT. So it could be like the States and have some synergy with that. And uh, I go, well, I got, I have never done TV before, but I think I can do it. I got to get in front of these people. So it, this is another six podcast, but anyway, I get the CMT, get my own national TV show for two years and end up making less than half of the money I was making in Toronto. And I had uh, double the number of kids. So it wow. doesn't take a genius to do the math to go that we were screwed. And that's when I had to, I started a syndicated show with a guy called the big top 20. And it was a national countdown radio countdown show that I wrote and hosted and then had produced in Calgary at, at Sync Spot Digital Audio Post because I didn't even really know how to edit then. And uh, that that show made absolutely no money. We were in arrears to the production studio. 
because my partner there was trying to get everybody on board and he created this affiliate network and had us on like 85 stations, but he couldn't get any sponsorship. So we were going down, down, down. And finally, my wife and I, when the studio kept calling and saying, we're not getting paid. I mean, this was news to me at the time. I didn't know they were going to get paid. So I was living in Kamloops at the time. We, we got CMT show ended abruptly after two years, got booted out of that. And I went to Kelowna to do a morning show for a year. And then I went to Kamloops to launch a, a morning show with Addison called B100. And I was still doing the show. I took the big top 20 and just kind of did it from there. And at the time I was reading the paper and listening to the radio and stuff. And I heard of this local Kamloops company called the Strauss Herb Company. And they were a vitamin and herb supplement company. And they had this product called Strauss Heart Drops that was revolutionary. And it was really saving people's lives, right? And a very expensive bottle of heart drops that you're supposed to take every day. It tasted horrendous. It was made all natural, whatever, but it really worked. And so I just called the guy up cold and I said, you know, I have this weekly infomercial that's two hours long that we could advertise your because they were being maligned basically by Health Canada because of their packaging and stuff. And I could see that they needed some positive PR. And sometimes it's just as simple as you think it is. You think the world's so complicated, but if you put two and two together, sometimes you're right. Not all the time, but sometimes you're right. So I signed a a deal on a napkin in a restaurant with the father and son from Strauss Herb. And we got $60,000 for them to be the title sponsor of the Big Top 20. And uh, that gave me enough money to pay some of the debt and start paying, cleaning up our invoices moving forward. And I actually made $1,000 a month for a year from that show. So, yeah. Adventures. I love and hate the entrepreneurial world. I'm a delegator. I love to delegate. It's it's a very, it's a soft skill, but it's one of my best attributes. I know how to, I got lots of people who know how to do really cool stuff. I don't have any skills myself, but I know how to delegate to get the right person on the job. It's just paying them that I have a hard time with. And, uh, so once in a while you get a sponsor and you get lucky and everybody gets paid. But that's, yeah, I don't mind being an entrepreneur if you get somebody who believes in you. And when I started my It's a Show podcast, my kids gave me this mug. There's only one in existence. It's already chipped. So it's kind of like my career, a little bit broken. There you go. Tea with Mike. Hey, hey nice. What, Sweet. This, what, this is one in Cheers. existence too. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, yeah nice, man. Cheers. That's, that's a good yeah. feeling having your own mug. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know what I was doing with that. I got carried away with the mug. But, oh, yeah, I got a buddy who sponsors It's a Show right from the get-go just because he, he was a local company owner in Red Deer, and he just believed in it, and he heard a couple episodes and thought it was funny and said, yeah, I'm going to give you some bucks to keep this going. So, yeah, sometimes as simple as that, I guess. Awesome. So, so how did it feel to be nominated for the awards yourself and also all the other people that worked on the show? Like, talk to us about Yeah. yeah sketchy at first it was such a shaky foundation and I was a lot to blame for that just due to my inexperience and not overly talented I you know I can figure things out but it takes me a long time and so I I eventually I think proficiently hosted that show towards the end but it was a long way to get there and Sharon people like Sharon Edwards who is already an award-winning broadcaster had to join me on that terrific ride and put her reputation on the line and everything so wasn't a, it wasn't a joyous uh, ride for everybody, but when we got that validation, I think we all felt the same. Like 
this is working and this is fun and we're enjoying it and let's see how far we can take it. So, and as far as CCMA awards go, won a few of those for personalities of the year. And it used to be like, you'd have to send in a, a tape of your show and a little write-up of your show and then it would get judged. Like the New York festivals are judged by an independent panel of judges from 13 different countries or at least they were when we were doing it. I don't know what the criteria looks like now or the metrics and stuff, but when we were winning these awards in the mid nineties, it was a legitimate win. Like that you couldn't fudge this. We didn't have any connections in Belgium or, you know, wherever all these other judges were from. And they had the, a list of, you could look up where they were from. And so with the CCMAs, they had a blind panel and you had to submit your stuff. So if I won, it was based on how good the show was how good the editing was, the show, you know, the the creativity, the the show business value, the entertainment value, and what we accomplished in a year on the show and with the radio station. So I have several of those that I'm very proud of, but I also have several of the ones where they just now it's just a write-in. So this is like just for station of the year too. We won those with CFCW because of I think Jackie Ray pointed this out, and I think it's accurate all of the independent artists that we help and give them airplay and stuff. And then their families vote for us and, and, you know, their managers and all like, it's a ripple effect. And that's, I'm okay with that too, but not for air personality year. I'd like to, you know, be respected for the craft and for how much work we put into building a show and how much, you know, may the best person win, whoever puts together the best application. And, you know, we want to, I don't know how many consecutively back to back when we were in Red Deer at KG Country 95.5, but Carolee and I won quite a few in a row. And that felt good. That felt validating. And now I just, I support the CCMA and I like going and reconnecting with friends and family and stuff. And so if we're nominated and it leads to that, I'm all about it. I love it because I had a chance to induct George Fox into the Country Music Hall of Fame in Calgary this couple of weekends ago. And he gave me this, this is the first microphone that he ever spoke into as an entertainer. And it wasn't for singing. It was him covering high school basketball games in his high school in Cochrane, Alberta. So it says for Greg Shannon, my great friend in music, George Fox, Hall of Fame 2022. So he gives me this along with a handwritten card and everything. And that's the kind of relationships that are built in this crazy business. First met George, he was on Today's Country back in the way back in the day. And you forget what a big star this guy was. And he had Ann Murray's management team behind him. And he was the host of the CCMAs multiple years. And his music is really freaking good. If you go on the internet and just start Googling, I guarantee you, you'll keep it on your on the tab open on YouTube. Because that's how I do it. I don't have a Spotify or anything. I don't even know how to do that. But I just listen to them all the time when I'm prepping for the morning show or whatever, because it's, and some of it will tear you up. Like it's heartfelt, very well written and very well performed. So I, even if I got into the business and only made one friend and it was somebody like George Fox, I'd be a happy man because, you know, he's, he's pretty damn awesome. I'll tell you that. And that's kind of been a theme so far, you know, you put yourself out there, you keep going, you just really don't know. Like whose paths you're ultimately gonna cross it. Again, as cliche yeah. as that sounds, right? So well, that's what you've done too. And you know, you just gotta it's stressful because if you're 
most of us who are in media or broadcasting or podcasting are introverts and you gotta be you gotta be extroverted to be able to participate in the world. My wife's been a longtime introvert, but she teaches in front of a live studio audience every day. And we're talking a very discerning grade two French immersion crowd that she has to program a show for every day. And she gets like a 20 minute break all day long. That's a real job. I don't want that. I, I'm fine <laughs> with this. This is a way better existence. But she, lots of people are in front of live audiences who are way more scrutinizing and discerning than the ones that we get to play to. So, but you got to believe, you got to put yourself out there and, it, and it's scary, but it's worth it because you get nothing great is ever accomplished without putting yourself out there. Exactly. You've been on an incredible journey all around the province and also outside the province of Alberta. You alluded to the fact that you are on KG Country 95.5 in yeah. Red Deer. So, so talk to us a little bit about what was your favorite part specifically about co-hosting this show? Maybe a little bit about the synergy that you had with your co-host. I was just telling the story to somebody recently, but when I, in a roundabout way, I uh, when I lost my job here at a station called Big Earl, I had to go on the road and it was a tenuous time for our family and everything. My wife had a teaching contract here. And we just didn't have enough money to make it because I thought I was secure in that position. And I bought a house here and, and we were way over our heads. So my wife stayed here with the kids, all the kids, four kids and taught. And then I had to go, I could not get arrested in the city of Edmonton. Didn't matter what I was willing to do anything all nights, evenings, whatever. I could not get a gig, Shaw TV, whatever. So a friend of mine, Paul Larson, who's a radio owner and just a really great guy, offered me an opportunity in Medicine Hat to go. And he started this new station, put together a station called The Lounge. And it was pretty unique, pretty cool. And I was going to be the program director in Morning Guys. So I go down there and just kind of getting it off the ground with the sales manager, who is a radio colleague I had from Medicine Hat from the first or second time I was there, Jason Todd. He was trying to get the sponsors going and, and we were going to build this station together. And then I was there for about not very long, a couple of months, three months, maybe, you know, eating beans out of a can and driving every two weeks to go see my kids. You know, it's a long drive. And miserable and marriage is on the rocks and the whole thing. And then I get a call from Red Gear, a guy I knew, Brent Young. And he said, do you want to come do the morning show here? We need a new morning guy because Greg Johnson was leaving to go to Fort McMurray to become a program director for the first time because there was no room in Red Deer at the time. They were Brent was a PD and he, he did he did both stations and everything. So at the time, so I had to let Paul down and you know he'd spent invested in me and you know whatever and he said you know what Greg it's fine go do what you got to do you got to be closer to family so I always appreciate him for that. And I went to Red Deer and Tara Lee had resurfaced after she, we all got fired and she resurfaced and got the job as the co-host with Greg Johnson at KG Country 95.5 in Red Deer. So I go and then we're back together. And we had built this real fun shtick in at 96.3 Big Earl in Edmonton. And we had a real devout following and we were just starting to build before we went to the carpet got pulled out from under us. So we picked up where we left off and Tara Lee was very good at show business. She was a singer-songwriter and had toured across Canada with the likes of Patricia Conroy and 
close friends with all these people just really skilled lots of skill sets you know pretty intuitive and good at paperwork which i always love or at least <laughs> i don't know if she was good at it but she had to do it because i delegated that was one of my strengths as you recall from earlier from chapter 11 of this interview about an hour ago we had yeah we had a great time together and but everybody thought previous to Greg and Tara Lee, Greg Johnson and Tara Lee, it was Greg and Jen. And Jen was Greg Johnson's wife. And they did the show together for a couple of years. And then Tara Lee came along. So they kind of thought she was Jen. And then when I came along, they thought I was still the old Greg. So we had to do something to get our names out there and clear up this confusion in the marketplace. So I, well, Tara Lee and I concocted this bit about me, you know, what song is Gord Bamford going to sing on the Canadian Country Music Awards? Is it going to be his new single or Blame It On That Red Dress, the hit that just happened? And I go, it's got to be Blame It On That Red Dress. It's definitely got to be that. Blah, blah, blah. So we went back and forth on the air and promoted this for a while. And the loser has to wash Gord Bamford's bus in a dress. I was the loser. So we go in Lacombe and we get Gord Bamford's bus and everybody's in on it. The fire department, Lacombe and everything. And quite a gathering of people came by to see this debacle unfold. And I had a red cocktail dress on. I, I don't know where I got it. It wasn't one of mine because I still have all mine in my closet. Then Al Riddell, it was Greg Terrelly and Al. And Al was the veteran news guy there and really great sense of humor and stuff. And pretty smart guy too, but really crappy makeup guy. He put on lipstick on my face and made me look like a psychotic joker. So the bit was kind of ruined because we got a lot of photographs and everything. But Al's makeup job made me look like a psycho. But I washed the bus. They put me on top of the bus with the lift on the on the air truck. And I washed the, everything. It, that bus was pristine clean. I took a long time doing that sucker. And then people adopted us and said okay you guys are okay you and Tara Lee we get that's who you people are now and right from there we were in with the community and things just started to to trend upwards for us and we got invited to the big events and the galas and we got invited to be on the Ronald McDonald Capital Campaign Cabinet they'll build Ronald McDonald House and uh, yeah it was just it was a special spot and a special time for us and we just tried to entertain the crap out of everybody every morning. That was the number one goal. You know, what does the listener get out of it? Let's make this happen. And we used as much creativity as we could, as many gags as we could. We had lots of artists on because we love talking to the singers. And Tara Lee was very connected with a lot of them. I had a few in my back pocket. So we always brought the entertainment value and did some fun stuff like the relentless pursuit of Jason Priestley and the relentless pursuit of Lloyd Robertson. We, they were kind of six degrees of separation games where we said, hey, do you, does anyone out there know Lloyd Robertson? Because we'd love to have him on the show. And we ended up creating these soap opera storylines that people loved. And we could you know, talk about it one day and maybe not. So I adopted here in Edmonton, we started something called the Special Projects Division on the radio morning show. So I have it here now. And we've done some classic things with that here as well. And the special projects division is primarily one person, <laughs> sometimes two, you know, on occasion three, but not very often. And uh, yeah, it's just fun. We just have fun and try and start everybody's day off on a positive note. And like we talked about the mental health piece, you know, so I think it's the pandemic showed us that the mental health is as important or more important than your physical health. So you got to be strong and 
you got to have a reason to get up in the morning and you got to have a reason to smile. Smiling is good for everybody. And we try and create smiles. That's what we do. And that's the marketing piece that we create smiles, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's important. I, so important for people and they appreciate it. And sometimes they come to tears when they tell you how much they appreciate what you do. And, you know, we're getting paid. <laughs> Not as much as we want to, but we're getting paid. And, uh, you know, it's what we do. It's what we're born to do. It's like a farmer. That's what they're born to do. Mechanic, whatever. That's whatever your passion is. And our passion is complete and utter nonsense that might, you know, turn into something down the road. And, you know, we might get Lloyd Robertson on the, on the radio show. You never know what these things. I think it's incredible that you're still positive, like overall about like the whole industry. Cause like you, like you mentioned, like there's some, some been some great accomplishments and then also times where it didn't like work out. And I'm sure a lot of people over the years, when they get those rejections or a show gets cut for whatever reason it is, could be nothing to do with them that they could pack it in and be like, this is not for me, but the fact yeah. that you kept going is a feather in your cap, you know, to like reinvent the wheel as many times as possible. Right. Well, and it's necessity is the mother of salvaging a, you know, a paycheck or whatever, but don't make no mistake. Positivity is something relatively new for me. And I had that epiphany not very long ago. And you can ask Tara Lee because sometimes when we we're creating the fun, it sucked the life out of me. No. And I used to have this thing where, you know, I farm work ethic or whatever it was, insanity. I would stay at the radio station for long hours past the show. And it was diminishing returns. And I did it in BC and I did it in Red Deer. And here when I, after being at Red Deer College and seeing what a work environment for an adult human being looks like, then I, when, you know, was making the deal to come back to radio with Jackie Ray, I said, you know, I got to protect myself and my mental health. And I, I got to get out of there at a decent time and get some sleep and have a nap every day if we can and stuff. Because for me, like I grew up, the glass is, or the bourbon bottle is always half or less than half empty. And, you know, when you have that attitude, you're in misery, you create misery for those around you. And Right now, I'm trying to repatriate mistakes I made with my own children just because I was, unless I was on the air performing in that given moment, I was not happy. That was my thing. And then everything I did was just to get to that thing again, like an addiction. And it was weird and odd and not not cool. And I I regret a lot of it. And I, that's why, you know, being a grandparent, you got a second chance and you can put down your phone and you can just be a human being and hopefully be some what of a mentor wasn't much of a mentor to my own kids kind of trying to pick that slack up now that the pressure's on them and they're young adults and it's a crazy world and everything so i'm trying to be there but never really been much of a leader more of a follower guy and if there's no one to follow then i flounder and if there's no real i'm not very competitive unless it's about you know the riders the blue jays or my radio career and uh, you know when when I don't have an arch nemesis like Casey Clark <laughs> or somebody like that to compete against so that I can go, yeah, I, I, he's doing good. I want to do better. It kind of keeps you going, right? Like, and when I don't have that, I kind of flounder or did until I had my epiphany. And now I just, I do the best I can with what I've got and I don't get too worked up over it. And I just try and show up every day and Sometimes we have breakdowns, Stella and I, sometimes there are good days, sometimes bad days. We're two 
completely different human beings that are going, okay, now you're married on the radio. Here's what you do. You're together every day, but be happy, be funny. You guys get it. You know? <laughs> and you know, it's, she's such a pro and got tons of radio skills and it's great to work with her. And, and when we can try and when we get in that sweet spot and things are rolling, you can see it in her eyes and you can see it in my eyes. Like we love, this is good. We're clicking. It's fun. And we don't, I really wish radio would have some producers and some writers and some more staff like they do, like the BBC has and the, and the bigger networks in, in the UK. They take it seriously and they make serious dollars with those radio companies because they have shows. They don't just have, you know, the radio's on. They have developed shows with storylines and we make our own storylines. We're all flying by the seat of our pants and we do okay, but we are kind of like competitive that way Stella and I we would like to see how far we can go how good we can make it and sometimes yeah. we need you know if we could have a you know even two or three people involved in this thing as producers and and you know helping organize audio and and all that kind of stuff it could be super fun and and we could take over the city on an AM radio station you know we've already got the country right here I mean, take over the city too why not yeah, uh, I think that's anything you do. You're like, oh, like you wish you had the budget or the yeah. dollars to have m multiple people. You, you, you know what I mean? I would love to have someone that I could just pay to create like micro content like consistently. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's the dream. It's time consuming, isn't it? That's the problem. I mean, like you have all these great ideas and I'm like, I know I should be creating way more micro yeah. content. Uh, the graphics should be much more like polished up, but I, I just don't yeah. have time, right? You know, so. They said perfection is the enemy of getting stuff done. So, you know, I think you're you're doing great and you gotta give yourself some credit. And, but we're all, any creative people, we always know we could do better. And it's, that's the hardest thing on our mental health is going, don't beat yourself up. You'll get it next time, figure it out, just slow but sure. And we'll get it done because people, I mean, if you get down to it, people are counting on us. They wanna be entertained. We, we need to keep showing up and Sometimes the graphic isn't going to be perfect when we show up or the mic sound is going to be staticky or you're going to have a headache or a cold or COVID or whatever. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. So true. Okay, so who's three people that you've met in your TV and radio career so far and have left a long-lasting impact on you and why? Wow. Okay. Jeez. Oh man, I don't know. That's a tough question. Uh, well, Jay Hitchin, like I mentioned, I mean, without him, I wouldn't have gotten that country job. I had no job and I was pretty, I got fired from the all night show at CKOM because I was awesome on the radio, like awesome. And he saw something in me and he also developed my sensibilities towards country music with his mentorship and and, you know, he, he'd never call it mentorship. He's Jay's just Jay. But he's just that kind of guy, right? And you learn things from him, whether he's trying to teach you or not. And he always has his deep voice. We used to always kind of be scared of him. Jay, it's a jet radio. <laughs> we, used to, we used to mock him all the time and do skits at the Christmas party and stuff. And he took it all with a grain of salt and stuff. But he was he was a good mentor just because of the, the way he was. And he didn't, I mean, he didn't. A short stint at mornings in Edmonton and that and then he became a program director and stayed in medicine had his whole career at CHAT 
influenced a lot of people. Other mentors and other fun people. Holy moly. We've interviewed so many people. Stella and I were talking about this today. Like, you know, we're if we were up against it, we couldn't name 10 people, but we've interviewed 10,000, you know, and some are diamonds. I remember Buddy Epson from the Beverly Hillbillies when I was on the air at Kamloops at B100. We flipped, uh, we were a country to start. So we had him on then and we flipped a hot AC later, classic hits. And Buddy Epson, he was in his 90s at the time, Uncle Judd, and I started talking to him and everything. And, and he shilled his website, buddyepson.com, like a hundred times in the interview. It was like mastery. <laughs> it was like, yeah. Yeah, don't forget to check out buddyupson.com. And I go, yeah, I got that. Thanks, man. And I just, you know, just a, this guy started in vaudeville. You want to talk about show business incarnate. Buddy Epson was around since the beginning of time, like when George Burns was young, kind of. And uh, yeah, so that was people like that, because like I said before, I grew up on those nostalgic TV shows and everything. So anytime I got one of those people on, like Marianne from Gilligan's Island or or stuff like that. It was a it was a special moment because your childhood is kind of coming back to you in a different way. And yeah, so that was always fun. The Garth interview, that was a, a turning point in my career, kind of whether people on the outside saw me as a legitimate entity after that, I saw myself as a legitimate entity and that fueled my confidence and having survived that interview. Also Mary Chapin Carpenter because we got a New York festival for that one. And when you're sitting across from this woman who's an incredible singer-songwriter, like her writing is crazy good. And she went to Princeton and I'm sitting across from her. I went to Clavette Composite High School and then I went to Ag College. And the, the one thing that the publicist and whoever set up the interview said, her name is Mary Chapin. Don't call her Mary. She walks into the studio. Hi, Mary, I'm Greg. And then I know right now that I've made the ultimate faux pas and I'm going, mm, idiot. And so I sat down, had no confidence and just like kind of tried to salvage it, get it going. And at one point in the interview, I said like, you know, you're educated in Princeton and you do this and you do that. How much cranial space can one human being have? And she loved the phrase cranial space. She'd never heard that before. She starts laughing and everything. And then all of a sudden I had her right here. Rest of the interview was gold and we win the New York Festival Award. So, you know, again, don't let fear get in the way of a good time. Just Greg Shannon, fear killer. That's what I do. <laughs> One last story at CMT. I get this phone call at my desk after the show and said, Greg, and I go, yes. This is Yumi Kimura from Warner Brothers Nashville. And I said, pardon me? Because I didn't know what that was. That, and that was her name, Yumi Kimura. I didn't, never heard of her. And she goes, I represent Faith Hill. And we're doing the interview for Faith Hill's European press kit. And she would like you to do the interview. And I go, who is this? Like who, what kind of, which one of my buddies, his girlfriend is on the phone screwing around with me because this is not even funny. I'm tired. I'm not a national TV host. I gave it all today as you could probably tell. And uh, no, this is Yumi Kimura. And I run Warner Brothers, the press division and stuff, Nashville. So can you fly down and do this interview? And I go, well, let me check my <laughs> schedule. And I <laughs> talked to Ted Kennedy, the boss there. And I said, Ted, uh, I got this weird request and just fate wants me to fly down. And 
And he goes, well, you better do it then. So he gave me the time off and I fly to Nashville. I think it was a Friday anyway. And I fly down there and she had done today's country twice, as we said, right when she was just young and on the cusp. We had a good time in the interviews and stuff. And she was very, obviously, sweetheart, beautiful person. And so we get into the thing and I bought her, I forget what I bought. I bought a, she had the one daughter at the time and I bought a children's book or something that I gave her, right? And we were at Reba McIntyre's studio, Starstruck or whatever studio. It was like very cool, very daunting recording studio with all these people, like a lot of professionals around. And then I come in. Uh, to bring down the IQ quotient and I'm like <laughs> I'm like stressed out I don't know what's going on I don't even really know what I'm there and I go in there and I go uh, yeah I, I got this for you <laughs> for your daughter or whatever so I hand her the gift that's all awkward and weird and then we sit down and she touches me on the knee and leans forward and she goes you know I asked for you personally yeah I know <laughs> I don't know what to say like this yeah, that's for you personally. I don't know why. That's what I should have said is why. <laughs> why did you ask for me personally? So we do this interview and I'm like, it's a little bit shaky and rough because I'm nervous. This is Faith Hill and she's a big star at this time. Video star hits and all that. And I think, uh, you know, things are starting to pick up. It's going okay. I'm not bombing 100%. I'm getting the information out of what I need. And all of a sudden her phone rings. Hi, baby. Yeah, I'm just doing this interview thing and I'll be right home, baby. But and she's talking to Tim, like with the babies and the blah blah. And I go, oh, okay, this whole day's ruined. <laughs> so, I'm like, I'm out of here. so I wrap things up and we get out of there. And then I went to eat with the Warner staff and stayed in Nashville for a hot like 10 minutes and back to CMT after my yeah. yeah. So that was weird stuff like that happens to me sometimes, and you never know what's going on, and you just gotta like and I I get inside my own head and I just go, you know, I'm gonna just totally screw this up. I can feel it in my bones. And I do, I usually do because that's how I go in. So now you gotta, that's a good lesson, right? Just think positive thoughts, think some good karma and maybe good things will happen instead of bad things. Perfect, and that's funny because I was gonna wrap it up with whether it be one piece of advice you'd like to give to someone listening, but what you just said is a great way to bring it to the close today. So. Thanks so much for being on the podcast and for sharing some very cool stories. Hopefully we'll do it again in the future. I'm sure there's a lot more stories in the locker room, as they say. Uh, maybe not a lot more, but they're a lot longer. And I don't think anyone wants that. But you know what, Mike? Thanks. That was a pleasure. That was lots of fun. It's very cathartic. Now I don't have to pay my therapist this month so I can buy gas and groceries. So I appreciate you and everything you do. And I'm going to work on getting you a sponsor because you deserve one for this show. Thanks for doing it and keep on keeping on, man. I'll be watching your progress for sure. Appreciate it, man. Okay, everyone. This was another episode of the Tea with Mike show with Greg Shannon, sharing some crazy stories from the world of radio and television. If you enjoyed Greg's story, make sure you check out some of the other great stories from people all over the world at teawithmike.com and on all of the major podcasting platforms. Thanks, Greg. It's the Tea with Mike show.